So I'm just going to spend uh, a few moments just in reflection on, on Psalm 96. Uh, as I say, it, it is one of those song, uh, psalms, Psalm of David, where as you go through it, you just realise how often those lines have been used in different hymns and choruses that we sing. It's just full of it, isn't it, really? Every, every line, you think, oh, we could sing that, we could sing this. Um, and uh, there's so much there that's um, focused on a true worship of God. But interestingly enough, one of the key things there is in the second verse where it says, Sing to the Lord, praise his name, proclaim his salvation day after day. So it's not just thinking, oh, we're the Jewish people and under King David we've got reason to celebrate and therefore we'll, um, we'll make a fuss. It's actually something a bit deeper than that. God has somehow shared with David uh, and through David in this psalm shared with his people uh, the need to recognise that salvation comes from God. At that time, I guess salvation would have meant uh, defeating enemies and, and living in peace. Feeling that actually if we've got threatening enemies around us, if they're defeated, then God is on our side and we've been saved. But because this psalm goes on to say so much about the glory of God, uh, then I think it's also in their minds that there's so much more to life than just uh, surviving the latest onslaught from the enemy it's about knowing that God is really in charge and the salvation that God offers is, is a permanent thing and so primarily the first response that this psalm is uh, intended to elicit from us is worship knowing that God is the greatest knowing that although nations around them believe in all kinds of idols, those are proved to be false, those are proved not to have any power. And attributed to God is that power to create absolutely everything. So David is saying that we have the God that made the heavens. Everything else that you look at around about you, you should dismiss they're just idols. They don't actually have any power. So worship is about tuning into the true God and knowing that the true God is there for you. But the other thing in this psalm is that it starts to look a bit further afield. So if you look at Psalm 95, it's a similar kind of psalm and they're often partnered together. But pretty much Psalm 95 is about the Jewish people celebrating their God. But along that is, alongside that sits the warning of, look, you keep drifting away, you, you, you uh, bring forward God's anger because of the way you ignore him and go off and follow other gods. And so really there's a bit of an admonition in that as well as an opportunity to sing out praise to God. This one sort of turns it a bit and actually says, do you know what? It isn't just about you. Because actually God is there as the creator of everything. And therefore it's all peoples that are going to worship him. Not just you folk here that believe in him now. So therefore we've got a message that goes further than our nation. We've got a message that says actually everybody must ascribe greatness 
to the true God. And then it says there's another sort of purpose here as well. There's a purpose that in making God known, it will bring about a final judgment. And really, it's final judgment that probably in today's society we have much more trouble with. If you ask people about judgments, they think, oh, that's the thing that puts me off Christianity. That's the thing that I worry about. That's the thing that makes me think I could never honestly set foot foot in a church. And I meet people who have that attitude. And it's really hard to get through that attitude. But in this psalm, the judgment of God is something to rejoice in. Because what they're recognising is that God is great and God is good and therefore when things come to an end through his judgment, that will be the best of times. And I think sometimes we struggle as Christians to hold up that idea that that will be the best of times. We see it as a bad time. We think of all the bad things that we've done and have we confessed them properly and you know, have we moved on and oh, don't we keep failing on the same sort of thing. And so judgment, we get embroiled in the world's view that actually this is a bad thing. We're really not looking forward to this. But actually in this psalm he's saying, do you know, judgment's just the culmination of everything. It's God taking things to the next level. And therefore, when we worship both at the table and at other times, we should really be thinking that we're doing this until God comes again through Jesus. Jesus will come back Uh, and bring his people to him. And that should be a great time, something to look forward to. Part of the reason I think we feel guilty as well about, ooh, do we really want the judgment to happen soon, is because perhaps we recognise that there are people around us that we know and love and care for, and yet they don't know Jesus. And we're thinking, we don't want the Lord to come back until they've really had that chance to know Jesus. And then perhaps it sits on our guilt that have we done quite enough to move them to that point where they can make that decision. And you know the church through the centuries has had different approaches to that. It's either been quite authoritarian and it's done the judging part itself and it said you must believe otherwise you are condemned and, and the world has thought hang on a minute who are they saying that? But instead of drawing them into God's greatness the church has at times been guilty of just trying to frighten people into believing in God. Nowadays, I think we've gone a bit the other way. We're a bit fearful of broaching anything that might suggest to people uh, that they've got to sort their lives out and put it right. And perhaps we're not offering enough of the greatness of God that's sort of set out in this song. The greatness that sort of says, you know, everything is possible with God. And when God does make a breakthrough in someone's life, it's a great cause of rejoicing. But aren't we sometimes surprised? We thought, gosh, I've been praying for that person for years, and now suddenly this has happened. Don't know where that's come from. Uh, And, you know, we actually get quite surprised that God's at work. Um, So we do need to build up our own sense of how great God is and how possible things are through him. And I think this psalm's a great one for doing that, because it doesn't let anything else get in the way This isn't one of those psalms that says, great, thank you, Lord, you know, uh, everything's great. However, these horrible nations over here, deal with them, Lord, I can't cope with this anymore. Uh, It's very much moving through on who God is, how great he is, 
how everything is kind of wonderful around him and therefore that we've got part uh, of that glory. We can share in that glory. Basically, we're kind of reflecting here on God's perfection and not our own imperfection. We're focusing on the fact that salvation comes from God. We're recognising that everything that's provided for us for good is from God. We're recognising that God's word is the thing that holds us and uplifts us. And we're recognising that whatever we do in his service, then that really is a noble thing to do. Not because it's particularly great duty that we carry out or anything, but simply because it's in service of the great and wonderful God. And all those images that you get in scripture of angels and heavenly beings, it's all about the service that they bring to God. It's not about, let's all sit around and have a cosy chat together, it's these uh, angels, cherubim, so on, they're just rejoicing in God. Uh, and that's the attitude that we need to learn to, to grow a little bit more, I think. But actually, the promise of salvation is a promise of something else as well. It's a promise of a place to be in the future. For David, it was about, we've rebuilt a temple, we've save the ark, we've got the ark of the covenant amongst us that's as it should be great reason to rejoice but for us it's knowing that there's a permanent home with God a house that has many mansions if we listen to what Jesus tells us about it that actually nobody's going to be lost if they seek God because God is there and ready to meet them and so, what a wonderful cause for rejoicing. And I just thought I'd end by reading Psalm 96 again, but this time reading it from the message. So, as you can imagine, just a little bit different. But some nice imagery and some nice different perspectives. Sing God a brand new song. Earth and everyone in it, sing. Sing to God. Worship God. Shout the news of his victory from sea to sea. Take the news of his glory to the lost. News of his wonders to one and all. For God is great and worthy of a thousand hallelujahs. His terrible beauty makes the gods look cheap. Pagan gods are mere tatters and rags. God made the heavens. Royal splendor radiates from him. A powerful beauty sets him apart. Bravo, God, bravo! Everyone join in the great shout, Encore! In awe before the beauty, in awe before the might. Bring gifts and celebrate, bow before the beauty of God. Then to your knees, everyone, worship. Get out the message, God rules. He put the world on a firm foundation. He treats everyone fair and square. Let's hear it from sky, with earth joining in. A huge round of applause from sea. Let wilderness turn cartwheels. Animals come dance. Put every tree of the forest in the choir. And an extravaganza before God as he comes. As he comes to set everything right on earth. Set everything right. Treat everyone fair. Amen.